Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Brisbane podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. In a world that is dominated by narratives of fear, anxiety, and worry, what does it mean that joy is not dependent on outward circumstances, but on the inner state of one's heart? You've joined us in our series, Philippians, where we are exploring what Paul meant when he wrote to have joy in everything and the importance of living in unity among believers for the sake of the gospel. We pray that this message is a blessing. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that true God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their goal, their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is... Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Emma. We're going to give Emma a big clap. Awesome. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, my name is Dylan. I am the small groups um, pastor here at New Life Brisbane. And God willing, um, at the end of the year, my wife and I will be planting a church in the Moreton Bay region, so which is going to be awesome. Um, There'll be some more details coming out about that. But I just quickly, before I get going, I just want to name something. Sometimes when the Holy Spirit is doing a beautiful work in a congregation, there'll be consistent themes which come across. Now, I want to share with you that we had a prayer in our uh, 315, our pre-service prayer, Then Pastor Alex just got up then and shared a word of encouragement and a prophetic word with us. And this is actually partly to do with my sermon, and he didn't know that. So I just want to name that the Holy Spirit is up to something tonight, which is exciting because it says that he's here. On Pentecost Sunday, he wants to encounter you, and he's got your mail ready to read. So let's get excited and saddle up. But yes, as I said, my name is Dylan. Um, So we are continuing in our series in Philippians, and, and the key theme that we're looking at is this, joy. Week one, we kind of looked at joy is not a circumstance, joy is a choice. You can choose joy, it doesn't matter what you're going through in your life, joy is at the other end of your desire and your will. If you decide that you want to have joy, 
The good news of the gospel is this, that Jesus Christ can give you joy. So if you've come in here empty tonight, my encouragement is this, joy is on the other side of this sermon. Some of you are like, yeah, I know, because you're annoying. It's like, I've got an inner ear infection, so I'm a bit, like, a bit out of it tonight, but I'm going to continue. So last week, um, Pastor Alex walked us through um, the first bit of Philippians 3, and he showed us this, that Paul was a man who used to lead his life by seeing that he had a spiritual resume. Paul was the guy who was amazing. He was well-known in his group. He did all these things. Yet what happened when Jesus encountered Paul is this. Paul began to realize that it didn't actually matter what his resume has. It matters who God said he was, which is great news for you and I because it does not matter how you find yourself coming into this place tonight. God has good news for you. God says good things over you tonight which is beautiful news. Paul got to the stage where not only did he repent of his sinful life, Paul got to the stage where he repented of his religiosity. And some of you, if this is your first time in church, you ask the question of like, what? Like, is that, isn't that Christianity? The answer is no. Christianity is one of the most joy-filled religions that is out there. It's the one that puts Jesus at the center and new life ahead of you and God at your forbearance all the time. This is the beauty of the Christian walk, is that you and I are God's beloved. So we start tonight from a place of being his beloved. My hope tonight is that I can continue, and we're going to look at the last kind of few verses of Philippians 3. And we're going to look at this, that what makes Christianity so beautiful is that it's good news for weary hearts. It's freedom for captives. Some of us have walked in here tonight and we're under oppression, Well, let me tell you something. At the end of tonight, you are going to be broken free in God because God wants you to encounter you tonight. So we're going to look at Philippians 3, verses 12 to 21, and it's this, Paul's vision for the believer. I want to look at tonight, what does Paul think? When we have Christianity ahead of us, when we have the journey of Jesus ahead of us, how does Paul nut out how we go about living out our Christian life? And I want to ask you a question tonight. Do you have a vision for your spirituality? Is there anything in front of you that you're setting out your face like flint ahead of you where you go, this is what I want my life to count for? Because sitting in a pew is not the goal of the Christian life. And like, thank God we know that at New Life Brisbane, right? We're a people who hunger for more of that. But I want to say that again. This is not the goal. The goal is to have a vision where we point forward to Jesus. We get excited about the things of God and we got caught up in his beautiful mercy. Amen? I'm going to put a, I've got a uh, slide on the screen now. Next slide. Thanks, Sam. Oh, sorry. I went after that. Hey. One thing. This isn't Brent, and this isn't Adrian. Just as an aside. <laughs> it could be. Where is Brent? He's, he's, like, he's gone red. <laughs> this is their recent trip. No, I'm joking. But so, re, so <laughs> I've lost my track. Can't hear anything. The, <laughs> the, reason, the reason I have this up is this. I want to start by sharing an illustration, and I'll just derail what I was going to say. I grew up in a home where triathlons and Ironmans were a common part of what I did. Not what I did, but what I witnessed my father doing. So my dad was an Ironman. He did all these kind of things. I grew up as that kid who was sitting there at a pool, 5 a.m. every day, watching my dad do laps, sitting there in the line of losers, which were the other kids there, looking at each other being like, oh, you're here as well, and we're all freezing 5 a.m. in winter. My dad was very, very, very focused on being a triathlete, right? He was a big cyclist. He did the Tour de France thing. He he wasn't like a Lance Armstrong type equivalent, but like he was good, right? He was kind of like the D grade. It's like the the Christian League of Soccer. 
It's like it's down here and like the secular leagues here. It's like Dad was kind of like the Christian league of soccer. It's going to be a loose night. And moment by moment by moment, I sat with my father at the pool. I sat there, I watched him, I watched him run, I watched him do the gym stuff, and Dad was just like nuts. He was like just so focused on what he was doing, so full of discipline. And I remember one night, I was, I was about 13, and I literally came to my dad and I said, Dad, I can't keep doing this. Like, you're asking me every night to get out of bed, to, not at night, in the mornings, to get out of bed, sit with you, watch you, then you drive me to school, because I had one of those kind of strict parents who, like, it wasn't fine to leave me at home. I had to kind of come everywhere my parents were. Maybe that's why. Anyway, we'll leave that one. We'll leave that one. Let's, let's process that with my counsellor. And I had a conversation with Dad where I literally said this. I said, Dad, the level at which you run, the level of pursuit that you have as a triathlete person, as an Ironman person, Dad got the Ironman thing tattooed on his arm. It's like, oh, but anyway. And I said, I just can't keep doing this. I cannot keep coming here every night. And my father, because he's a beautiful man of a big heart, he said, Dill, I'm so sorry. He's like, I didn't realize that you were struggling with this. And I was like, yeah, like 5 a.m. in the morning, I'm sitting with other random kids at a local pool. I'm struggling with this. What dad did then is he went from literally every day with me, waking me up, having me sit next to the pool, to dad just completely stopped training. Just went, like the pendulum completely swung to the point where it was Port Macquarie, 2005, and Dad completely had stopped training that much that he, he ran the race. It was like a, I don't know, 80-kilometer swim, 80-kilometer, whatever. Dad ended up getting wrapped up in some, uh, some tin foil, and he had hypothermia because he was not fit enough. And you're like, where's he going with this? Good question. My point's this. The reason I share this illustration is this. Paul was a man who knew discipline. Paul was a man who knew what it was to be disciplined in what he was aiming for. Yet Paul got to the stage where he encountered Jesus and Paul lost his legalism. But unlike my father, what Paul did not do is Paul did not lose his discipline when he got released from his legalism. And there's a word in this for us tonight from Philippians 3, and it's this, that Paul was once upon a time, a, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, he was a law-keeping Pharisee, he was a zealous persecutor, Paul ran harder than you and I can run in the Christian race, yet God did a work in his life. Paul met Jesus and lost his legalism. Yet remarkably, unlike my father, Paul lost his legalism, but he did not lose his discipline. And I feel like that's a word for some of us here tonight. You can lose your legalism, but don't lose your discipline. Paul didn't even use it, lose it a little bit. God transformed him. God transformed him into a stunning apostolic father of the faith. Paul planted churches. Paul ran hard. Yet Paul did that when he was liberated from needing to do that. So the point is this. God will liberate things upon your life, not so that you stop serving him, but so that you are more anchored in these ways of grace and that you can pursue him more freely and more beautifully. So Paul was a man. It's, it's, scholars call it the Pauline paradox, Right? He lived this kind of weird, strange life. God transformed him. Paul was able to, on the one hand, preach justification by faith alone, preach the good news of the gospel. Yet Paul was disciplined in his pursuit of God. He pursued holiness with fear and trembling, Philippians 2 says. He worshipped God for his grace. And 1 Corinthians 15.10 says this, he worked harder than anyone. He was commended for working hard. He boasted in Christ's sufficiency. And he beat his body, lest somehow he should fail to finish the race. So Paul had a vision, but it was centered in grace. 
So my question for us tonight is this. What is your vision of where your spirituality takes you? What is your vision built on? Because our vision matters. Paul had a Christian vision that carried with it the ability to fix his gaze on eternity, yet lean back into his father's embrace. And we do well tonight to do the same thing. So tonight, if you're taking notes, I want to look at Paul's vision of pursuit in the Christian life. I want to look at how Paul engaged his face towards Jesus, ran after him his whole life, but did it in a way that was sustainable and didn't, learn it, didn't lead into burnout. It's good news for us in kind of this post-Christian culture where some of us are recovering from laboring over the things of God for many years. Paul's going to bring that back into alignment and combine desire with rest. So if you're taking notes, this. This is my three points tonight. Number one, I want to look at this. Paul's attitude. I want to look at from verses 12 to 13. What was Paul's attitude that set him up for point number two? His goals. Because Paul had goals in his Christian life. There were goals. Paul was not passive in the journey of discipleship. There were goals. And point three that I want to look at is this. I want to look at the power of Christ. I want to look at the hope that Paul had. That sound good? All right, great. I'm going to go straight in because I'm aware of time. So point number one I want to look at is this, Paul's attitude. Paul's attitude was one of humility. Verses 12, Paul says this, not that I have already obtained all of this. There's a couple of verses that go before there where Paul talks about kind of the resurrection of the dead and all these kind of big, big, big things. And Paul's a guy who was the best, most amazing Christian at the time, yet he had an attitude which was built on humility. Do you see the tension there? I don't know about you, but if you're in the business world, you can kind of run hard. Some of us are in Christian leadership, we run hard. For Paul, before he did anything, it started with his attitude. Paul's attitude was this. He says, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold for that which Christ took hold of me. Paul had an attitude which continued to lead him to repentance and faith. And quickly, I want to make three keys here. Three godly keys to godly attitude I think Paul models for us. Just quickly, number one. Three things that I think we learn from this text. Number one, it's healthy to acknowledge your imperfection. It's liberating to acknowledge that you don't have it all together. You haven't obtained it all. The goal of that is that it would actually liberate you. There's a guy called Andrew Murray, and he says this quote. He says, humility is the antidote to pride and the soil in which other virtues grow. The scriptures say that God gives grace, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So the Christian life must start with a sense of humility. Now I'm a hypocrite. I'm not saying I lead in this way, but that's what the word of God says. We start with humility. A second quote that I want to tell you from St. Augustine, he says this, humility is the foundation of all the other virtues in the Christian life. Hence, in the soul in which this virtue does not exist, there cannot be any other virtue except in mere appearance. You want to go deep in the things of God? You want to live a life where you pursue Jesus? Let's work on our attitude and let's make it start with humility. It's the best witness to another world. Humility. And you're like, Brisbane, I put this to us. What would it look like if we were a people who were marked by humility? Imagine the safety in this space. Like, have you ever been around these people? They're humble, they're freeing, they're empowering, and you just want to be around them. You just want to gaze and, and, and just be in their presence. Number two, Paul, I think Paul's attitude embodies this. He highlights and emphasizes progress rather than progression. Progress rather than progression. They're two different things, right? One's the metric we judge ourselves with. 
The other is the journey that we face towards. If the goal of us is to become like Jesus, that's, that's progress enough. It's not about where you land. It's about the journey that you're on. So some of you are new to faith and you're like, I'm still struggling with these areas of life and blah, blah, blah. And I just want to say like, relax. God's got you on a journey. And he's going to take you on that journey because his grip on you is harder than the grip that you have on him. He's carrying you along. That means that you can relax and lean back. In other words, it's this. Our security is not based finally on our grip on Christ. It's his grip on us. So let's be a people who mark the fact that we aim for progression, not progress. Oh, sorry, for progress, not progression. And the last thing is this, number three, within this. I feel like if Paul was here, if Pastor Paul was here, he'd be like this. He's like, I have not obtained this already. He mentions all these things. And I feel like he'd say this. New Life Brisbane, find yourself carried along in the grace of God. Find yourself carried along in the mercies of God. Paul begins this section with highlighting two ways his attitude outworks itself. But he says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies, what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. What is ahead? My question for us is this. What is the biggest thing which stops your growth in pursuit in Christ? I would hazard a guess it's this. Fear and guilt. Fear and guilt. I want you to think of that time that you've been to that Christian conference or you've been to that work PD or that kind of space and you leave kind of feeling like, I can take on the world. Now the reality is in that moment is nothing of your lived experience has changed. If you go to Hillsong, nothing's changed. You're going back to the same place. If you go to a work PD and you're a burnt out social worker like I was two years ago and you go to these PDs to hear about like well-being in the workplace, I left that being like, I'm going to pursue well-being in the workplace. <laughs> now why did I do this? Nothing changed about the truth of my life. What changes my perspective? And I feel like Paul would say this to us today. Bring to the forbearance of your mind the grace of God on your life to carry you through hard seasons. Let that be your attitude. Lamentations 3.22, we all know it, but we've got to say it. This, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, they never come to an end. You can't outrun God in your life. His mercies continue to hold you and drag you and be with you and love you. They never come to an end. They're new every morning. Doesn't matter what you've been through, where you've been, where you're going, they're new every morning. Every morning. It means you go to sleep tonight, you wake up, new mercies. Tomorrow, I want you to do this. Wake up, look at yourself in the mirror. This isn't self-help. Just be like, new mercies, baby, let's go. Like we laugh, but like, let that liberate you. Like Christianity is not like, oh, it's got to be really nice. It's like new mercies, the grace of Jesus Christ for your life. Point two, Whew, 13 minutes, Paul's goal. The second thing I want to look at this, Paul's goal, verses 14 to 16, he says this. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. Two scriptures I want to bring up, Luke 9, 51. If you've got a Bible, go there with me. Luke 9, 51. Jesus, it says this. Jesus resolutely looked towards Jerusalem. In Isaiah 50, verses 7, it prophesies the resolute nature of Jesus to have a vision for what he would do. And it says this. Jesus turned his eyes there, like what? Face like flint. What does that mean? It means that Jesus had this view of his life with a goal. And Paul imitates that sense of urgency. 
So Paul had a goal. It was built on a humble and freeing attitude, but he had a goal. And this is why it's important in the Christian life to have two things. Number one, hunger. And number two, thirst. There's spiritual desires in our heart. If we get hungry, like when we're hungry for food and it satisfies our soul, if we get hungry for the things of God, then our soul will find its rest. If we, get, if we thirst for the living God, we'll find him. And the temptation for some of us who've come out of big seasons and rhythms is that we get a bit lazy in our walk. And I don't say that to heap judgment, I'm there. I say that by way of this, if you seek God, you will find him. And some of you are missing out on the presence of God in your life because you've just fallen asleep and you're not pursuing him. And I don't say that as a word of uh, like a, ah, don't hear it like that. I say that by way of this. Some of you have stories of signs, wonders, miracles, salvations, breakthroughs, provision. But you've fallen asleep at desiring those things because you've been tired. And I just felt it on my heart as I was preparing this message to just welcome you back into the space of desiring God. Hungry, getting hungry, thirsting. But knowing that because your attitude is built on humility and because you're in a safe space, God will do exceedingly and abundantly more than you can ever hope, pray, ask, imagine, whatever, all the words. Because you're in a safe place. But don't fall asleep at the wheel. Seek Him. Seek Him. God's doing a beautiful work in our church at this current moment. Keep seeking him. We need to wake up. We need to be a church. When people need healing, we pray. When people are hurting, we make ways. So let's wake up. Because John 6, 33 to 35 says this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be satisfied. Because if you seek God, you will find him. And even in this moment, I just, want, I, just want to, I just want to break that off a few people. If you seek God, you will find him. So we just stand against what the enemy says. If you want to seek God, you will find him. Some of you have been in the desert for a while. It's a good place. I've been there too. God needs you because in seasons of hiddenness, God takes you back because he wants to get you firm on his word. But God is desiring for some of you, I think, that he would release you into a season of manifestation where you feel his presence again. It's not just about when you were six months old Christian. Let's go back, church. Let's go back to be a place of his presence. It's Pentecost Sunday. It's where the Holy Spirit fell on a bunch of people. Imagine if he did that in our midst. All right, where am I up to? Point three is where I'm up to. It's good news. Ten minutes. Doing all right. All right, point three is this. Paul had hope. And Paul's hope was in the power of Christ. Paul's hope was not in himself. It was not in anything else. It was in the power of Christ for his life. And in verse 17, Paul makes this case that we are to keep our eyes on those who live as we Christians do. Paul encouraged the people to seek a role model in him. I feel like I'm going hard tonight, but I just got to go there. It's this. Christians need role models. You need a mentor and you need to be mentored. Now, it's not some kind of weird like this is my person type thing, but like, I'll just put this out there. If you're someone in the second half of your life where you have a lot to bring to Christians, to younger Christians, I'd put this out there. We need you to be living close with younger brothers and sisters. It's something we're kind of missing in the church. As the church generation gets older, there's a, there's a gap. 
My generation cries out for those who can take us and walk beside us in our parenting, in our marriage, in our single life, in our workplace. I can't do it alone. I need the elders, those in their second half of life, to stand beside me. So my encouragement is, if that's you, I just feel the Lord say, come on, let's go. You have something to give the church. The second flip side is this. If you're young, you need someone to look up to. We live in a very individualistic society where it's like, I'm awesome, things are great. I can do stuff. I've got a master's. Or like, No, you need people to look up to. You need to have real conversations with people where they go, you know what? How's your walk with the Lord going? How's your marriage going? How's your parenting going? So I'd say this, don't actually wait for people to find you. Find people. We have some beautiful, amazing people in this church. We have some people who have lived a full life, who have wells dug deep in God. Ask them, can you begin to hang out with me a bit? You put the agenda on their lips. Say, hey, can we catch up once a month because I want you to mentor me. Just go there and let me know how you go. All right, point one. Okay, I'm going to get to the actual teaching bit. So Paul now shifts gears. Right? Paul shifts gears in this, part, uh, in this part of the scripture. And he has, again, with the firm word for us, right? is this. In a culture where we blur the lines, Paul seems to make it clear that you either live for Jesus or you live against him. Verse 18. For as I have often told you before and now tell you even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Paul's vision is Jesus, his pursuit is Jesus, yet he acknowledges that people need Jesus. And we're a church that says we need Jesus, we need the gospel, we need the good news of Jesus Christ to come and bear on our lives. And if you don't don't know Jesus, you need Jesus. And Jesus is here for you tonight. These people, they were offended by the suggestion that they were so sinful that nothing short of death on a cross was necessary to save them. And some of you are early on in your Christian walk and Christian journey here, as I am in many ways, and that's fine, but I just say this. Some of you tonight, I believe, are getting a sense in which you feel that you need Jesus. There's a part in you, there's a hole in your heart which which needs him. And I just say this, he's here. Don't live as enemies of the cross. Because Paul goes on and he says this in the second part. He says, verse 20, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under our control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. If you don't yet know Jesus, you can be a citizen of heaven tonight. You can walk out of this building and be a citizen of heaven. And some of you who might be asleep in your desire of God, let me speak this over you. You are a citizen of heaven. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're called to make much of Jesus. You're called to desire him. Your kids, your wife, your husband, your cousins, your family need to see that light in you. So tonight, let's let that light arise. Let that light arise in your heart tonight. Live like you are in heaven. Points this, we need the help of God to do this. Amen? Proverbs 13, 12 says this, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. So now as the band comes up, I believe, again, in this moment, there are some of you who just, there's hope deferred, but Jesus is here and he wants to well up within you a life, a life source. He wants you to know him. 
He wants you to love him. And secondly, some of you know Jesus, but you're weary. You've lost vision of what your life can be for Jesus. And Pastor Al shared this at the beginning, but it's beautiful and it's quite fitting actually that today is Pentecost Sunday. Today is the time where the church celebrates, where everyone pauses and we celebrate this, that the Spirit of God has been poured out on all flesh, on everyone, Jews, Gentiles, those that have it together, those that don't have it together, men, women, children. The Holy Spirit is here for you tonight. And Paul in Philippians as, he, as Paul encouraged us in Philippians to press on, we are too encouraged to press on in our faith journey. And we can do this with the encouragement and the anointing and the enabling of the Holy Spirit. It's through the Holy Spirit that we receive the strength, the wisdom, and the guidance to run and to run hard in our Christian life. So what I'm gonna do now is I wanna put two calls out there. And the first is this, and I'm going to ask everyone to just stand now. The first call is this. For those of you who do not know Jesus, yet know Jesus, if there's been anything compelling about the beauty and the grace of Jesus tonight, I want to put that out. And I encourage us now to just close our eyes and to bow our heads or to do whatever we see fitting in this moment. And I want to boldly ask the question, do you want to know Jesus tonight? Have you heard something so beautiful in this scripture about the vision that Jesus has for your life that you want to take hold of it tonight? If that's you, I encourage you in this moment. I just want to lift your hand just to show me that you're there. Is there anyone in this moment? We're in no rush. If that's you, why don't you lift your hand? Just say, come Holy Spirit. welcome your presence in this room. Second group of people is this, every eye remains closed. Some of you, it's been a while since you've had a drink of the Holy Spirit. Some of you, it's been a while since the power and the presence of God filled your heart and filled your life. It's been a while between encountering the Holy Spirit. And so tonight, if you would like to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if you would like to have someone, we have a team of dedicated prayer ministers here tonight who would love to pray that the Holy Spirit would touch your life again. Some of you, this might be the first time that this has happened or the first time that you've actually felt comfortable to come up at this response. And look, it's nothing weird. It's just a heart and a head that surrendered, saying, Lord, I need you in my life. I need you to come and fill me. So I encourage, if there's anyone in here, and I'd I'd go as far to say that there is, would you come up in this moment and begin to just fill the front of this room? If you want to be bold tonight and say, I need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. And some of you here, 
I feel the Lord saying, you think you're like, I'm OGs of New Life Brisbane. I can't come up. I've built this place. Maybe you're the ones who need to come up. Maybe you need a fresh drink. Thanks, brother. I've done well on time on preaching tonight, so I'm just going to linger up here a bit longer. Is there anyone else who would like to have someone pray and would like to encounter the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit tonight? It's Pentecost Sunday. I'm going to pray now. And then we're going to have a team of people who are going to be keen to pray. So Holy Spirit, we just begin by saying we love you. We acknowledge you as the advocate. It's the empowering presence of Jesus living in our hearts through faith. We invite your Holy Spirit to come here and to take up residence amongst us. We pray for just fresh power and fresh anointing, Lord. Holy Spirit, you're often the one that we forget to talk about in church. So just pray in this moment that we would be a people who acknowledge you, the goodness of you in our hearts, the goodness of you, the power and the presence of you. Lord, we pray, we boldly ask for encounters tonight, Lord. We ask that you would fill us as your people, Lord. As, as Al said, as the church kicked off and as the church began, it was a people scattered they waited, they tarried for the power and the presence of the Spirit to touch them. And Lord, tonight we come into agreement with you and we say that it's not for the super spiritual, it's not for the super religious, it's for all of us, Lord. The experience of your presence, of your love. I pray, Lord, in this moment, just for a release of those people who are, who are just wondering, should I come forward or should I not? This is not about a church, this is not about us, this is about you and the Lord. And we would love to pray the Holy Spirit would touch you. Welcome you, Holy Spirit. We're going to sing and we're going to pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you'd like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.